Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Before we start today's podcast, a quick heads up on Sherlock's VIP Club. From restaurants, bars and hotels to beauty, wellness and shopping, Sherlock's partners with some of London's best destinations and hottest brands to bring its VIPs exclusive monthly offers. So why not sign up? It'll cost you just £5 a month or £50 for the year. Use your card once or twice and you'll have made that amount back in no time. For more information, visit sherlocksvip.com. Rising through the ranks at More, Red and In Style magazines, Trish Halpin developed a solid reputation for building circulation. Then in 2008, at the height of the recession and with magazine sales rapidly declining, she joined Marie Claire as editor-in-chief. Ten years on, she remains at the head of the publication, driving the brand's e-commerce venture and challenging the shape of traditional print. Three-time winner of the Editor of the Year Award, Trish Halpin. Welcome to your Sherlux success stories. Thank you very much for having me. It's lovely to be here. <laughs> We're sitting in your very smart offices overlooking Canary Wharf. It's quite a view. Let's start with your early days. You studied English and media at Brighton University. What did you plan to do with it and how did you get into journalism? Well, actually, the truth is, Georgie, I had no plan, <laughs> if I can say that. I hadn't really aspired to get into journalism. I loved English. I did it as an A-level topic. And it was that kind of classic when you're trying to work out what kind of degree to do. I really just didn't know what to do. And then I wanted to go to Brighton. It was more about being in Brighton. And I thought, well, that looks quite nice. And it was a humanities course. And it happened to have this thing called media on it. And I thought, okay, because this is back in 1986 now. So, you know, it was kind of probably in the early days of people really studying media and what media meant. And obviously, it's very common now. And there are loads and loads and loads of courses. And media is a huge thing. So I didn't go in with an idea. And I I think that was probably good for me because it meant that I was just focusing on having a good time in Brighton, <laughs> growing up really. You know, I really had a chance to kind of grow up and meet people and just go completely into another world from the world that I grew up in. And I think that was a really good education in itself. So I think the journalism came about really after that when I was sort of casting about trying to find just any kind of job. And I did all sorts of jobs. I worked in an unemployment benefits office. I worked at the Department of Trade. Sport. I worked in all sorts of different places and I kind of fell into almost like an admin job within a publishing company. And then I was suddenly thinking, oh my goodness, this is really interesting. This is something I could do. Maybe this is the kind of way I want to go. So I knew then that it was publishing in some form, but not necessarily being an editor. At that stage, I didn't dare to dream that that could be the case. Were you dreaming of a big career though? Were you motivated by being successful or did you think you'd have a job and life, you'd become a mother and, and that's how your life would pan out? I don't think I was ambitious. I think I was ambitious about wanting to enjoy life and to experience things and to travel and to meet people. But I just didn't have the tools, really, I suppose, or the background to know how that could manifest itself into a career. So, you know, I say to people, I'm not ambitious. And people are, you really are ambitious. (laughs) You know, sometimes (laughs) you you can't kind of quite see yourself in that way. 
but I think the ambition grew once I got into sort of women's magazines and seeing women like me who've got right to the top here. So there's no reason why I can't do that too. And let's go back to the first publishing company that you were working for. Mm -hmm. You said you were in an administrative Mm -hmm. role. Mm -hmm. Talk us through the journey and where you went from there. So I was actually doing the production on the classified advertising section of Construction News, which was a weekly newspaper. And I was literally going to the typesetter. It was before desktop publishing, so we're talking a long time ago. And I would go to the typesetters every Tuesday and I'd have to plan out all the advertising paging and the jigsaw puzzle of how all that classified advertising would sort of sit together. Anyway, fast forward, did that for about a year or so, met people who worked in the industry and somebody left to go to another company and they contacted me and said, oh, I'm at this small startup publishing company. Do you want to come over? We've got lots of roles. And I thought, why not? So I went and joined this publishing company called Third Man Publishing, which only lasted for a couple of years. But it was one of those things where you got to do everything. I was in the editorial department, but I was doing picture research. I was writing bits and pieces. I was designing pages. I learned how to do, you know, it was called desktop publishing at the time, very revolutionary, learned how to, you know, use a Mac. And it was a really great sort of learning experience. And unfortunately, that company folded after a couple of years. We did Professional Golfers Association magazine. Right. Exciting. (laughs) And sort of almost like catalogues for big events at the National Exhibition Centre and newspapers at trade shows and things like that. So that was the kind of background. And I moved from there to, I got a job as a sub-editor on Screen International, which is a weekly film newspaper. And that was great because it just meant that I honed in on the subbing side of publishing. And that was a really good sort of intense experience, which I really enjoyed because the subject matter was really interesting, all about the film industry. Was your role there as a sub-editor? Yes, I was a sub-editor on the production desk of this weekly newspaper. So I wasn't writing anything. I wasn't even really copy editing. It was more like proofing, fact-checking, then actually doing layouts as well and design and cutting pages to fit and all that kind of thing. And what was the difference going onto a paper? I think it was the weekly format, first and foremost, because these other projects that I worked on at the previous company, you could be working on those for a couple of months leading up to a you know big exhibition or something. So to have the weekly pace and routine was really interesting. And we had a very formidable editor called Oscar Moore, who was a real character. And it was just really such an eye-opener. I think I'm one of these people who I just take in everything when I'm somewhere and I see something new or get to experience something new. I'm so kind of fascinated by it all. I think some of it must all just sink in and stick somewhere. You're quietly analysing things. Quietly analysing and thinking, oh, that's interesting. I think that's the trait <laughs> and the cleverest people, isn't it? So you worked on this film newspaper. Mm-hmm. How long did you do that for? I did that for about two years and I got a call from More magazine. I happened to meet somebody out socially who'd been working on it and their editor called me up and said, oh, we're looking for somebody to work on production and head up our subs desk. And I was like, oh, really? Okay, great. So I went over to see them and got the job. And the editor was Mario Reardon, who was actually my predecessor here at Marie Claire, funnily enough, as well. (laughs) And that was, gosh, 25, 26 years ago. And we're still friends now. So tell me about your time at Moore. Mm-hmm. So Moore was Moore was fortnightly. Moore was fortnightly. Moore was fortnightly, and it was published by a really big magazine company called Emap. So I really felt, wow, I'm through the door here. This is Emap. They publish L. They publish FA 
HM. They had so many amazing big magazine brands. So it was so exciting to be yeah. inside this big organization. And I mean, for people listening that don't remember More Magazine, mm. I mean, it was one of the best selling, well, it was it the was. only fortnightly, was it? It was exactly that. It was a fortnightly first, magazine. Yeah. And it was sort of aimed at, I would say, young women, probably 18 to early mid 20s. And it infamously had fortnightly illustration position of the fortnight, <laughs> which I think people still quite remember it for. Oh, I which, definitely do you remember, remember. that? <laughs> oh, and I was definitely not 18. <laughs> when, when you were definitely buying it. Yeah. school. <laughs> but it was a brilliant brands to work on. Do you remember the Chippendales? We were I always doing do. features with the Chippendales and six pack of the fortnight. You know, it was quite racy, actually. Yeah, it, it was quite interesting. Yeah. yeah, But it was a big title. It so was for you, that must have been title. quite a pivotal moment. It really was. And, and I mean, this was the 90s. And I would say that era, and I'm really privileged to have really lived through the era of the heyday of magazines. It mm. was such an exciting time. I mean, more magazine at that point was probably selling sometimes 500,000 copies every fortnight, wow. which is huge. And also there were loads of other magazines selling that kind of volume mm. as well. So you were at Moore and you were running the sub-editor's desk. That's right. And how did you progress at Moore? Mari actually moved over to Elle magazine and there was a sort of change of editor. And we all sort of moved up one and I became deputy editor. So I kind of escaped from the sub's desk and it was probably my experience and knowledge of how the whole magazine works. You know, that's what you really gain from working in that kind of subbing production role because you're dealing with every department. You're there from the start of the production cycle of the magazine to the end. So I was made deputy editor and I did that role for about a year, I think. And that role can be different on any magazine depending on the editor and what they need from the deputy. So on that particular title, I was doing a lot of management. I was managing the team. I was doing a lot of the kind of day-to-day running of the brand. And it was a guy actually who'd been appointed and he was more sort of just doing lots of bigger ideas, bigger projects and, you know, having fun. And you stayed at Moore for how long? I was there in total for about three years. And then I was within EMAPS, it was still the same company, moved to New Woman magazine. So I was asked to become a deputy editor. Which couldn't be more different from Moore, No, really. it couldn't be. But interestingly <laughs> enough, they just appointed an editor called Dawn Babe. She'd been brought on board to kind of completely revolutionise New Woman because it was your very classic kind of women's magazine from that time. But she wanted to kind of turn it on its head and make it almost like the grown-up sister to Moore. So it was much more fun, but it was more for 30-something women. There was a lot about careers and relationships, but there was a lot of sex and just sort of the idea of magazines being entertainment and tapping into that. I remember she always talked about wine bar woman and it was that real era when they talked about ladettes and it was the sort of Zoe Ball and, you know, that kind of era when it was really... The big breakfast. Yeah, it was the 90s. It was that really. Mm. So, and that was a huge success. Again, what Dawn did with the title and the magazine went on to sell over that couple of years, you know, consistently 300,000 copies a month, which was fantastic. Yeah, amazing. So deputy editor at New Woman Mm -hmm. to... Deputy editor of Red Magazine. So again, within EMAP, they decided to launch a new magazine called Red, which was aimed at a demographic, this kind of new demographic almost, uh, that they had labelled middle youth. And it's this idea of suddenly when you're in your 30s, being 30-something used to be seen as being quite old and quite grown up and mature because the chances are women in their 30s prior to the 90s would have had their children in their 20s. You know, they would have been a very traditional kind of career path. And being 30-something was seen as being quite old. Whereas, of course, now we know today 30-something is nothing. And when Red was launched just over 20 
years ago, they captured this audience and called them middle youth. And it was the idea of growing up without growing old was the kind of slogan. And they asked me to go and be deputy editor. And I was deputy to an editor called Kath Brown. I mean, Red, again, for people listening that won't remember the launch, I mean, it took the country by storm, didn't it? There was nothing like it. I mean, New Women was more real, but there was nothing that really spoke to women in a way that they just connected with, I don't think. There were these really aspirational high-end titles that, you know, exist today. And I just remember the excitement from actually my mother and my stepmother and their friends Mm -hmm. about this title that had women on the cover that they liked. And it was sort of warm and it had a different voice. And yeah, I remember it was on the news at 10. It made the news at 10. (laughs) It was such a kind of phenomenal thing. But yes, you're right. I think with Red, it was the warmth. It's a Mm. really warm magazine and it was just beautiful. The kind of lifestyle elements, the fashion, the beauty, the homes, the food. It was so aspirational Mm. and beautiful and glossy, but also very warm and inviting. Mm. And tell us a bit more about your time at Red. How long were you there for? I was at Red for a total of nine years. I was deputy editor for 18 months and then I became the editor, which was super exciting. So the way that came about, the editor that I joined with, Kath Brown, left the title. She stayed within EMAP, decided to do something else after she came back from maternity leave. I'd held the fort while she was on maternity leave and they were looking for a new editor and they wanted a big name and appointed a really marvellous, incredible journalist called called Sally Brampton. So I was Sally's deputy then for about another six months. And then Sally departed. It wasn't quite the right fit for her. And they asked me to become editor. And it was amazing. It was well, an exciting mean, experience. It must just that moment must have been incredible. Do you remember it really vividly? I today? do. I still remember it. It was December 2000. And I remember when they called me into the office and said, look, we want you to do the job. We don't want to look for somebody else. You've held the fort. You've been amazing. So I think it was that that kind of quiet persistence, maybe. But equally, I didn't put myself forward. When the role came up the first time, when Kath left, I didn't put myself forward because part of me just didn't believe that I was good enough or important enough or famous enough to become the editor of this fantastic magazine that, as you say, sort of stopped the world in its tracks. So I just didn't have that belief in myself. So I thought, well, there's no point even applying. So I didn't apply. If you had but, your time again, would you? Yeah, definitely. There were other things probably going on in my life at the time that made me not want to, you know, I was trying for children, wasn't happening. Maybe my mind wasn't fully focused on it. But actually, my advice now to anybody who asks me, just go for it. Because if you don't get it, you don't get it. But there's a chance that you can. What have you got to lose? And don't put your career ambitions on hold for anything, because you will find a way to make it all work somehow or another. Why do you think you got the job? I mean, you weren't a big name. You'd quietly got on with it. And there is a lot to be said for that, isn't there? But what do you think you had? What were the qualities that made you editor of one of the most successful magazines of our time? You know, you've got to be pretty special to do that job. Well, thank you. (laughs) I think it was the knowledge that I had built up over, this is now what, good sort of seven, eight, nine years in women's magazines. The track record I had of managing people, because these are big teams that back then, they were very, very Mm. big teams of people. And you have a lot of creative people. You have a lot of potentially quite difficult people, (laughs) vegos flying around. And it's the breadth of what you've got to be able to do, to be able to kind of go out for a meeting with an advertising client and come back and kind of work with your creative director and your fashion 
fashion director and trying to rein in what it is that they're doing or trying to push them. So I think it was that combination of my knowledge around the whole magazine process, my ability, my strength with people. I think I'm a good people person. And I was that woman. I was the reader. I was absolutely the reader. So it was so easy to come up with ideas and Mm. to think about what the magazine should be and what should be in it. It was just so natural for me to do that. And how did you inspire that really big team of people? Because that's such a huge part of your role as editor, Mm. isn't it? To get the best out of your team. How did you achieve that? I think there's a number of things. You lead by example. I go in every day and I am happy every day. I'm always delighted to be in the office. So you're enjoying what we do. We're so privileged to work in this industry. And then communication to me is the key thing, communicating your strategy, your vision and communicating what you think about people and what you think about their work. I think the communication word is just so vital. Mm. I think I'm a good communicator. I imagine you're very fair. Yeah, I am. I think I'm known for being fair as well. Can you be tough? I can be tough and you I seem too I, nice to be tough <laughs> thank you it's so funny one of my former fashion directors from red actually she said oh my god we'd always know when if something had crossed a line or if something wasn't right because there was a look on your face and we would know and we would just be like oh my goodness okay she's not happy okay we've really got to you know sort this out or whatever I think as I say I'm always very much a we'll figure it out type of person we can work this out there's no obstacle too big no problem yeah. too difficult you know sometimes you'll like pull your hair out you know, you bring people into the problem, get them to help you. And I think whenever it gets to a point where I'm like exasperated, they kind of know more from my body language and my facial expressions. I'm not a screamer and a shouter. I don't do that. So it's not my style, but I obviously give off other visual clues. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass!" So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do it. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. And what have you learned from other people? What leadership skills have you taken away? I mean, you've worked for quite a few different editors on your way to leading Red. What did you pick up along the way? I think the two previous editors I had, both Dawn and Mari, were really big thinkers. They weren't detailed people. They were really about the big ideas and the overview. And I would say that's the bit that I probably had to push a bit more because I'm very much a detail person. But that obviously plays a huge part in creating this product that needs to be perfect that is printed you know 500,000 copies are printed every month so you that attention to detail is really important but I think it's understanding your audience I think absolutely huge must both of those editors were incredibly strong on that front so I would say they forced me to think a bit bigger think more outside the box and combine that with the detail and the precision I think was probably quite a good mix so eight years at Red. 
Mm-hmm. And you moved to InStyle. From one of my favorite magazines to my other. I mean, when InStyle <laughs> launched, I was like, okay, this is it. The personal excitement. I mean, that was the magazine that spoke to me like mm-hmm. no other magazine did. I'm so sad it's not around anymore. And it was just beautiful and blush and feminine. But it had celebrity, but it had good celebrity and... Oh, it was just such a great addition to the landscape then. Fangirl, fangirl, fantastic. I I mean, I really was. I was gutted when it went. Mm -hmm. But you left Red in 2006 and went to InStyle. Why? I went to InStyle because I got a phone call from the chief executive of that particular division at IPC Media, which had InStyle, Marie Claire, Wallpaper, Living Etc., a whole bunch of other magazines. And she asked me, would I come and meet the American editor of InStyle? They were looking for a British editor. The title had been launched about five years by that point. And I thought, well, hey, I'm going to go. Of course, I'm going to go meet them. I love Red. Love, you know, Red was my life. But I thought, if these doors open, you have to go through them and have these conversations. So I met with Jackie Newcomb, the CEO, and the editor of American InStyle called Sharla Lawhon. And as being an InStyle fan, you'll know American InStyle is literally legendary. It's a fantastic magazine. Mm-hmm. And just had a coffee and a chat with them. Got, gave them some thoughts on the magazine and then I was walking to the station the next morning at about 8 o'clock and I got a call from Jackie saying right she wants you she wants you to do the job and I was like what 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 it went from being a conversation less than 24 hours before to being a and then, why do you think that was what had you said they needed to do what had you seen um, as the opportunity I'm always very careful not to be critical of what because I think people work so hard to create these magazines and so I would never be critical of what another editor have done but I think what I probably did was probably talked about what was really fabulous in the American edition that maybe there could be more of in the British edition because I think it had a very American sensibility. It's known as an American magazine. So I felt that maybe it needed a little bit more aspiration because it was a celebrity-focused magazine. So all the fashion, all the beauty, all the interiors was all done through the lens of celebrities. So you never had models. You'd have celebrities in fashion shoots. And I think in the UK, we'd got a little bit unglamorous and a little bit sort of mainstream with the kind of celebrities that were being featured. So my suggestion was, <laughs> let's elevate it and make it a little bit. Um, so I think that's what I said, if I okay. remember correctly. Yes. Anyway, they like what you said. <laughs> they wanted they you. liked what I said. And I, I had a real tussle of, oh my goodness, do I leave Red to go to this essentially fashion and beauty magazine? And obviously Red, yes, it has fashion and beauty, but it had all the features and articles and the sort of more journalistic side as well. And I think what made me decide to do it was they offered me a nine-day fortnight. They said I could have every other Friday off, which at the time I had two-year-old twins and I'd gone back off to maternity leave at Red. I had six months off and I went back and it was hard, you know, it was hard. And the idea of doing the nine-day fortnight was quite appealing. But then Red said, well, you can do a nine-day fortnight here. So I was like, oh, how do I make the decision? I just thought, you know what, I'm just going to do it. I've just got to do it. I've got to step out of my comfort zone, go into a different publishing Mm -hmm. company, and try something new. And you did? I did. And you did three years at uh, It was about two and a half years, exactly, and really enjoyed it. It was a great experience. But my boss, Jackie Newcomb, who I mentioned before, who was also the MD of Marie Claire magazine, she asked me, would I become the editor of Marie Claire? Because Marie O'Ridden had stepped down. And that was another really big decision. I never thought it would be because Marie Claire was 
you know, sorry, Reg, Marie Claire was my all-time favourite magazine. I remember when it launched in 1988 yeah. and it was so different. It was so genuinely different. What the brand was about felt really fresh and I really loved it. And I never thought I would have to think twice about being offered that job, but it was 2008, I think, when we were having this conversation and the recession hit. It was all chaos. Somebody said to me, oh, it's a poison chalice, Marie Claire. And I was like, what do you mean? They were like, well, it's such a huge brand and given the kind of turmoil that media is about to go through with, you know, digital explosion. We didn't even know about social media, particularly then, not a lot. And, you know, the advertising industry is in free fall. Everything's in free fall. Do you really want to be doing? And I was like, oh, God. But then I thought, again, goodness, you know, I didn't even have to apply for this job. It's just come to my lap kind of thing. And, and it's Marie Claire. <laughs> and it's Marie Claire. So I knew it was going to be hard, but I thought, you know, come on, you can do this. And uh, yeah, so I did. And you came here with what goals, aspirations for the brand? The biggest aspiration that I had for Marie Claire was to stay absolutely true to the core DNA of the brand because as I said it's got such a unique DNA and it has isn't it again people listening you know go back however many years it was the only magazine title doing that kind of investigative journalism Mm -hmm. wasn't it and that was really new you know I think it was about giving a voice to women the world over I think that's what the core sort of DNA of what Marie Claire is about obviously it was started in France in the 1940s actually and there are now I think 26 editions worldwide but it's very much about women their voices and you know back then in 1988 when it launched you know when we didn't even have the internet practically to see how women live in a tribe in North Africa or to hear reports about child marriage or underage marriage all the issues that are really remain I would say still for women that is something that Mary Claire said my first real goal was right how do I keep the DNA of this brand they wanted it refreshed they wanted it reinvented but I need to keep that DNA. And they also wanted me to cut the size of the team and look at the budget and look at how we were doing digital. So it was a big challenge. Yeah. And when you joined, you know, the economy, as you mentioned, was in a bad place and there was the rise of digital. Was Marie Claire feeling it at that time? I think every magazine brand was feeling it at that time. I think that was the real crunch point. I think all magazines at that point had ventured into digital. I think there was the sense of the unknown of how big is this going to be? Where do you apportion your resources? You know, we were still working to obviously circulation, what's working on the newsstand, but also advertising what advertisers want. It was a tough time. I think it was a real turning point for magazines that particular 2008, that particular year. And when you joined the circulation was at? It was at around 300,000. And I think I famously said in one interview, yes, my aim is to keep it at 300,000. But I mean, no magazine has kept up their uh, circulation. We are around 120,000 per month of the printed magazine. But you've got to put that in the context of the women, the Marie Claire brand is reaching through our digital channels, our social channels, our e-commerce platforms that we have, we're reaching probably about 6 million women a month in some way. But print is very much at the core of that kind of business plan. But obviously, we have all these other sort of satellite things now. That's the way that media is working. And how have you maintained that circulation in print? Because, you know, yes, it's not what it was, but you're still here. There are magazines closing all the time. Mm -hmm. How are you maintaining your position in the industry? Because 
because it, it seems to be here and pretty resilient. I think we're managing to maintain our, our sort of, you know, relatively healthy circulation because of the values of Marie Claire, I think, are, especially this year particularly, seem more relevant mm. than ever. And last year with Me Too, given that Marie Claire has always been about feminism, has always been about empowerment. We have covered climate change for the last probably three decades. Yeah, so true. Everything that is so pertinent and relevant at the moment is what Marie Claire has always, always championed. Mm. And I think that women see that, they recognize that. I think its media habits have changed. You know, we all have, there is such immense competition for people's time, their attention, their money. There are so many more ways to play, as yeah. we all know, and we all do it in our daily lives, that we've had to really take a look at our business and think, how do we stay true to the DNA of the brand, deliver a consistently good printed magazine at the heart of it, but venture out into these other sort of revenue streams as well. And we're going to talk about digital in just a moment, but just while we're on print, I mean, what do you see as the future? I mean, nobody knows, but you know, when you look ahead for Marie Claire in sort of five years time and the industry, what do you see it looking like? I think first and foremost, the brands that have a very clear and strong blueprint or DNA, they will be the ones that win out and that mm. will stay the distance. And Marie Claire absolutely has that, as we've already discussed. And I think there will be a resurgence in the sense of print being deemed to be a luxury item. I think, you know, if we look at now, I mean, my son is buying vinyl records. <laughs> he's 15 and he's bought a record player and he's buying vinyl records. And I've kind of got my box out of the loft and dusted down all my old Smith's albums and Joy Division and New Order. And he's like, oh my God, this is so exciting. So Your credibility I've, just rocketed <laughs> with, with those. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So I think that there will be a move to creating a, maybe a more luxurious printed version of magazine. I think that's what people will mm. want. And it, it's funny because I know people feel that people just can't get their heads around it, I think at the moment, paying for media. But we do have to kind of take a view of, well, where do we want our media to come from? Where do we want our reporting to come from? if we don't want to pay for it. Yeah. I really, you know, wish people would think about that. And how do you, as someone who's been in the industry a long time, you know, you've been there in the heyday, as you said yourself, and, you know, we're now in such a different world. How do you stay really motivated? Because you've been there really at the very top and now we're in this really tricky time. Do I feel like you don't have the energy to continue? Um, no, not at all. Sometimes I think, oh God, I haven't got the energy to get up today, but I don't feel that I haven't got the energy to continue with this because I really believe in what we're doing. I really believe, I mean, the week before, the eve of International Women's Day, we did the most amazing partnership with the United Nations and Salesforce and we did a panel discussion on gender inequality in the justice system. And we were just talking about, you know, gender inequality, gender pay gap, how do we, as women, how do we progress this? And part of the way that we progress this is by talking about it, by writing articles about it, by tweeting about it. So I feel very strongly that while there is, there's still so much to talk about on behalf of women and so many things to bring to people's attention and also, you know, fashion, beauty, we love it. And I know people are consuming it in different ways, but the power of print, a power of printed page, um, you know, with a beautiful fashion image or a celebrity story. I think there's something really enjoyable about that. It's that lean back experience yeah. as opposed to yeah. the lean into your media, you're leaning back and really yeah. enjoying it and letting it come to you. So I think it's about content values and the actual experience. On the subject of leaning in, let's talk about digital. You came, was there any digital presence to Marie Claire when you joined the business? There was a small digital team. We still have a small digital team, but very good, very focused team. And I think the challenges 
with digital are around the platforms that you're working on? Because as print publishers or legacy publishers, we don't control those platforms. So you are at the mercy of a Facebook algorithm or a Google, you know, how they do their rankings. So that's probably one of the biggest challenges is how do you work with these other brands in order to kind of elevate your brand and work in the way that you need to work by their rules, but get your content out there, as yes. it were. So we really focus on SEO, search engine optimization. That's a really big traffic way that we can drive traffic, obviously through Facebook and our social media channels. So you're thinking about how do you drive your traffic through your social platforms onto your site? You know, Georgie. The, the <laughs> you know what it's like. The 360. The 360. I think one of the things I'm really interested in is the launch of Fabled and you moving Marie Claire into the sort of retail space mm-hmm. because in 2016 you did launch Fable, which mm-hmm. is a, an online beauty destination. Mm-hmm. You partnered with Ocado, you mm-hmm. have a store. I mean, this is all quite groundbreaking stuff for a publisher to be doing. Where did that come from? How's it going? What's the plan? Yeah, so Fable by Marie Claire is just a really exciting media first, as we say, partnership and business, essentially. It was launched by my managing director, Justine Southall, here at TI Media. She was having a, I don't know, a lunch or a meeting or something with somebody from Specialty Stores, which is the company that owns Ocado and pet suppliers called Fetch. And they have a number of fantastic businesses with fantastic fantastic backroom delivery, all of that, as we know, Ricardo distribution. And they just sort of cooked this idea up together. They were interested in getting into beauty. We were interested in doing something in the beauty space because Marie Claire is very big sort of market share in terms of beauty advertising and the, the amount of beauty content that we do. So it just progressed from there. And then it launched, as you say, 2016 with Amanda Scott, who'd come over from John Lewis as the managing director. It's a really exciting business partnerships. So the idea is that we write about products, our team kind of get involved, they do help with the social posting, they write content for the site, we do shoots for them. My beauty director actually at the moment is in Sri Lanka doing a whole bunch of shoots for both Marie Claire and for Fabled. And there's an executive editor has just been appointed called Julie Ferguson, who was the editor of Look magazine. So she kind of really gets the magazine side and also the retail side. So it's a really exciting partnership. This is a real blend of content and commerce, which, you know, is really the future, isn't it? Mm. And is it going well? Yes, it's going really, really well. Last October, in fact, there was another development in the partnership where by next.co.uk wanted to launch a beauty channel. They don't have a beauty channel or didn't have a beauty channel on the site and rather than launching their own one they've brought Fable by Marie Claire as their beauty channel I just think the old rules of how retail how media how it all works together it's all up to change yeah, I you think you just have to be so open-minded don't you, I think it also comes back to the heritage and the power of the brand you know this Marie Claire was 30 years in the UK last year it's still going strong it's a household name people know it so I think that gives us permission to play as well absolutely. in other fields yeah absolutely talk to us about the edit that's part of your digital offering. Yes. So that's a new development. Uh, That's a new channel that we launched last December. And it's basically a shopping channel on our website. And it's an affiliate revenue model. So we have 
partnered with um, a whole bunch of fashion retailers from farfetch.com to matchesfashion.com, Gucci, Topshop, all sorts of different brands. My fashion editors on digital and print teams, they write lots of content about different topics. And then there'll be galleries of content that are pulled in from all of our affiliate partners. And the way it works is if audience from our site go and then buy, then we get a little bit of money. And what do you see the future of the edit being? I think that it will grow rapidly with more and more partners on board. I think retailers are looking for different ways to get their product to market, different ways to sell. Again, for them, their sort of model of, you know, their business selling models are changing with a, you know, huge change in high street, but also in digital and, you know, how people are buying through social platforms. It's all changing. So I just imagine that we will continue to develop our, you know, Marie Claire Edit franchise, make it, it will grow with the number of partners we have. And yeah, who knows where it will take us. You seem to have achieved so much, but still want to achieve so much. What do you see your future in the industry looking like? First of all, it looks like I've achieved a lot. I have achieved a lot, but there are loads and loads and loads and loads of other people who have made all of this happen. It's not just me as the editor who've made all this happen. But in terms of my future, gosh, when you're so in love with the title that you work on, like Marie Claire, it's hard to think about another magazine that you could actually go to. I'm very excited about the way that media is changing. I think for a lot of people, we don't know what our next jobs are going to be because those jobs might not have even been invented yet. But maybe I will do some consultancy. I did a coaching qualification um, a few years back. And that's been really interesting. I've really enjoyed doing that. So I'm doing dabbling a little bit, just helping sort of mentoring, coaching people on the side, enjoying that. On the subject of mentoring for people that are listening and wanting to get into the industry, would you still encourage people I think to get into media, absolutely, yes, because it is exciting. There will always be media. It's just what shape that will take. There will be magazines. Of course, there will be magazines. But I think, you know, it's really important that people read magazines, that they read newspapers, that they follow journalists. You know, when people apply for work experience, we really want to ensure that they are reading magazines because a lot of them aren't. And you have to have a real passion for it. But I think absolutely go for it and let's see where it ends up because it's not going to go away. It's just going to be different. And I just think it's about getting as much experience, as much knowledge. If you are truly, genuinely passionate about subjects, about the magazine brands or the newspapers or particular writers, then please go for it and try and channel that into something. You mentioned your nine-day fortnight. How important has that been to you in terms of balancing motherhood and your career. It was quite a big thing when you were saying you negotiated it. There was a time when it just wasn't done. No. And also I think returning from maternity leave after, I mean, I returned at six months. I felt like I'd had loads of time off and obviously people now take a year, which is fantastic. I met somebody the other day, very, very senior in Harvey Nichols who took six weeks off maternity leave and she'd had twins mm. as well. Oh my God. I nearly had a heart attack. She told me that. <laughs> this was obviously going back, you know, 24, 25 years. So the fact that we can take maternity leave, the fact that come Companies are so much more open to flexible working. It comes down to women asking for it and pushing for it. And, you know, when I asked for it back in 2009, I mean, only 10 years ago, as you say, it was relatively it's new, new, but yeah. it's, it made the difference for me. You know, I was really able to then enjoy my children's childhood even more because I was able to pick them up from school and drop them off from school and make friends. At, you know, that whole making yeah. friends at primary school thing, I think is so important. Having a bit of a presence. Absolutely. I think it's if really important. I know not everybody can do 
that. And if you can't, if you don't have flexible working, then it's still, if you can find a way to do that, I think when you have small children, it's really the support you get from those women. It's like nothing else. It really is. Even just once a week. Oh, yeah. Can we talk for a moment about you going through IVF? I know you've spoken about it before, about the fact that you left having children until quite late. And I think you sort of alluded earlier to the point that don't put it off. Mm. You'll make it work somehow. Mm. What advice would you have for women who are either struggling or wondering when to Mm. take the plunge and embrace Mm. motherhood? I didn't start particularly late. It just took an awfully long time. So when I got married, I was about 28, 29, and we started trying for children straight away and it just didn't happen. So it eventually took seven years (laughs) to have my lovely children. And we went through about three cycles of IVF. And, you know, emotionally, it was really hard time. It was a really hard time. And I think on the one hand, my career absolutely was such a joy to be able to go into a fabulous office full of amazing women every day. But it also was equally hard seeing all those women going off on maternity leave and it never happening to me. But I think I probably didn't, you know, we were talking about why didn't I apply to be editor before? I think part of it could have been that because I was thinking, oh, well, you know, if I get pregnant, if I get pregnant, I can't apply in case I get pregnant. And actually, I say to women now, never put off applying for a job if you are trying to get pregnant or you are pregnant because you'll figure it out. You know, that's why we have laws in this country (laughs) to to go with that. But yeah, it was a difficult time. And then I had my twins, which was amazing and also very difficult (laughs) having these, you know, two tiny babies and go back to work because I needed to go back to work because I needed to earn money. It wasn't a choice for me. I needed money. And how have you managed it? If I think about it, I kind of get a bit overwhelmed. (laughs) Sometimes you're just so busy flat out all the time and it's exhausting. And the way I try and cope with that is, (laughs) I did it this morning actually on the tube on the way, I'm just giving myself a little mental pat on the back where I just say, right, you've made it. You've done that tube journey. That's brilliant. You've got the kids off to school. Yeah, well done me. I do. I do a lot of little well done me's. And I'm I'm one of these people who I break things down into little, right, just, just to get through that and get through that and then I'll do this and you know sort of break my day down into little chunks is kind of how I sort of get through it and also I just tell myself whenever I'm like dreading something or I don't want to do something uh, not that I was dreading this podcast this morning (laughs) at all but it was on my mind as I was coming in I was thinking oh my goodness I've got to do the podcast have I prepared have I thought about this and then you know I will leave this thinking well what a joy that was Uh meeting you talking to you again we've met before I try and remember everything that I enjoy which is actually a lot throughout the day but about your husband if I may yes. you've been married for 30 years I think yes. I read we've been together for 33 years this year and wow yeah I've been married for about 24 years I think and how key has he been in your success you said you needed to work most of us do how important is it to have someone by your side rooting for you oh, it's been amazing he's such a really great guy. We're, people think we're like the polar opposites and maybe that's why it works, but we just have so much fun together and he's very supportive in a way of just making me see that it doesn't matter. He's like, oh, it doesn't matter. Does it really matter? He's really good at putting things in perspective for me and he's just a very upbeat, fun person. So if ever I'm having a bit of a ooh, down moment, it doesn't take long before he can get me out of that. So he works for himself and he works nearer to our house. So It's been really valuable having, you know, if there is a crisis that he's the one who's able to actually go and step in and pick up the kids or or whatever. But actually, there haven't been that many of those. We've been very lucky. We've been very lucky. And it's kind of so far worked out. Well, I'm sure he feels very lucky to have you. (laughs) Trish, it's been wonderful having you. Before we finish, leave us with some parting words of advice for people listening. 
I think the main thing is just be kind to yourself. Give yourself a break because I think we are just a bit too hard on ourselves. So just be kind and give yourself a little mental pat at least once a day. Good advice. I'm going to make sure I do that. Trish, what a joy to chat to you. Thank you so much. Thank you, Georgie. It's brilliant. Thank you. That's it for this week. If you enjoyed listening, then do please rate, review, subscribe and tell your friends. We'll be back soon. Bye bye. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. Mm. Mm. 